If you would, turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We started looking at this chapter last week. One of the interesting things, when you preach through one book of the Bible at a time, is you just kind of lay out you just kind of lay out the sections that you think the letter's in and you preach it. You don't really look at the calendar and say, this is when I'm going to preach this particular message, except in case of things like Easter and Christmas. But I find it interesting that on today of all days, it falls to this passage, which is one of the most clearest and personal expositions of the gospel in the whole of Scripture. Paul lays out in this passage what it means to be a Christian. And so, if you are, if you would profess to be a Christian this morning, then hopefully this passage finds some resonance in your soul. If you are searching this morning, if you are not sure that you know Christ or are not sure that you could call yourself a Christian, you have one of the clearest ways of knowing and one of the clearest ways of figuring that out in reading through this passage this morning. Just by a quick way of reminder, what we talked about Last week, what I preached on last week, Paul is writing this letter to his friends in Philippi, a church that he started, and some other people have come along, people that we call now the Judaizers, and what they're doing is they, they follow Paul around, and wherever Paul has been, or many of the places he's been, these guys come along and they say, listen, we know that Paul preached a message of salvation in Jesus only. But that's not enough. Paul has left out some important things, one of those being circumcision, which means obedience to the Old Testament law. You have to have certain markers on your flesh if you really want to be the people of God. If you really want to be approved of by God, yes, belief in Jesus is good, but you need more. And Paul responds to those people with an emphatic, no, you don't. Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus works, not Jesus plus circumcision. And if you think that this only applies to people in Paul's day or only applies to the Old Testament, this same message finds root in our own hearts because we love to trust in things that come from us. We love to rest our confidence in ourselves and not in someone else. And so this message still preaches today. So I'm going to start reading in verse 2. And we're going to focus most of our time in verses 4 through 11. Let's give attention to God's Word. Paul says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, meaning we are the true people of God, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But... Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray together. Our good and our gracious God, we lay this passage before you. We've read it. We've heard it. And God, we're going to ask that you would bless it. That you would bless our understanding of it. And that as we hear it preached, that you, Lord God, would work. That you would work it into our hearts. That the truth of the gospel of grace would find fertile soil, and that we would respond. Oh Lord, would you bless this sermon? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. My parents, who are actually here today and who are both accountants, would, would tell you that my knowledge of accounting is very small. Um... They, I think they were more sure of that when I was in college. Uh, I didn't seem to understand the concept of, of profit and loss, that you actually want to bring in more money than you send out. Uh, if you don't do that, uh, you end up, well, where you end up broke. Um, so you understand this idea, even though, even though my understanding of accounting is, is, uh, is very limited, you understand the idea of, of profit and loss, of, of gain and loss. Every month for our officers, we generate, and if you want this, it's public knowledge, we generate a profit and loss report. We're a business, and so we have income and outgo, and we show what that, and right, we, you always want to be more on the gain side than you want to be on the loss side. You always want to have more in assets, things that speak for you, than in liabilities, things that speak against you. You don't want the column to be high over here. And that's what Paul is giving us this morning. He gives us his profit and loss statement. Except he does it with a twist. He, he does something very interesting. In this first part, he records all of the things that at one point in his life he would have considered his profit, his gain. And then Jesus comes along and flips it. And everything that Paul trusted in, all of the things that he said spoke for him, actually he realizes speak against him. They are no longer liability. I mean, they're no longer assets. They are now liabilities. And here is the truth out of this passage this morning, right? That because Paul has found a greater treasure, he looks at his life, he sees all of these things, And he wants to be rid of it. 
He wants to be rid of everything that he feels like stands in the way of knowing and gaining Christ. And here's, here's the big idea. Living by trusting in Christ is far better, far superior than living by trusting in yourself. We're going to look at this in three ways. First, we're going to look at Paul's own testimony, and we're going to find out what we can bear to lose. And it may not be exactly what you think. And then we're going to see how Jesus flips the balance sheet. He flips that profit and loss report. And we're going to look at what we stand to gain in Christ. Paul says, If anyone has reason for confidence in the flesh, that phrase, he uses it multiple times. What he means is, if anybody has reason to trust in themselves, if anybody has a good record, if anybody has solid religious ground to stand on, it's me. Paul basically, I don't know if any of you know the comedian... Um, let me just draw a blank. Brian Regan, there we go. Brian Regan has a whole skit called The Me Monster. Right? This is the guy who, when you're talking to, always manages to turn the conversation back to himself. Like whatever your achievements were, his are always better. Right? And so Brian Regan jokes that the, the ultimate me monster is the guy who walked on the moon. Like you can't trump that. Right? Whatever it is that you've done good in your life, the guy who walked on the moon is always going to be able to one-up you. Okay? That's what Paul is doing right here. Paul is looking... I want you to imagine the conversations that were probably taking place in Philippi. Paul plants this church, and he's moved on, and he's made a couple of other trips. He's planted a few more churches. He's actually in prison, probably in Rome, and he gets a report that some troublemakers have come to Philippi. Judaizers because they want people to go back into Judaism. And so they show up, and they come to this young church made of mostly non-Jewish people, mostly Gentile people, people like us, and they say, hey, listen, we've got a message for you. And, they say, and, and the, Philipp, the Philippians say, well, no, Paul's already been here, right? He's told us that we are saved by grace through faith in this man, Jesus Christ. And these opponents say, well, actually, there's a little more to it than that. Well, that's not what Paul said. Yeah, see, we, we know Paul. We're familiar with Paul. He's, he's not serious about the law. He's not serious about our, our heritage. He's not, he's, he's not telling you the whole story. And Paul hears this. And so he looks over his friends at his opponents, and he says, what you got? If you think that you have confidence in the flesh, I have more. If you think that you have reason to trust in yourself, I have more. Let's run down the list. When it comes to trusting the flesh, you can't be. Just listen, just listen to my resume. Paul says in verse 5, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. You think circumcision is a big deal? Great. My parents followed the law to the T on the eighth day. That's what the law prescribed. That's when they had me at the temple or the synagogue. So I've got it. You want the marker? You want the external marker? You want the symbol in the flesh? I've got it. What else? Of the people of Israel, an ethnic Jew. Now, just a quick little lesson you can impress your friends with later. For Paul and for the Bible, there are really two kinds of people in the world. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. 
And a Gentile, a non-Jew, could come into, could worship the God of the Bible, but they had to come as a proselyte. That means they received some of the benefits, but they were really second-class citizens. Paul says, no, 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 that's not me. I'm no mere proselyte. I'm a true Israelite. I may not have been born in Jerusalem, but I'm as Jewish as they come. What else have you got? Of the tribe of Benjamin. Yeah, I don't belong to one of those tribes on the, on the outskirts of the promised land, one of those no-name tribes. I'm a Benjamite. What else you got? A Hebrew of Hebrews. You see, in Paul's day, the Jews had been dispersed over the world, and many of them had adapted the culture of the place that they had been sent to, the place that they had um, been exiled to. And so while they were ethnically Jewish, they were no longer culturally Jewish. But Paul says, nope, that's not me. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not just ethnically Jewish, but we still do everything the right way, the Jewish way. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So if we're talking about ancestry, if we're talking about family, you can't beat mine. You can't have a better pedigree than mine. What else? We go on to Paul's choices, his religious commitments. At the end of verse 5, it says, he says, As to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were known for having the most traditional, the most conservative view of the Old Testament law. They interpreted it better than any of the other parties in first century Judaism. They understood the law. They knew what it meant to obey the law. And so Paul says, listen, I'm not one of these, to use modern-day terminology, I'm no liberal. I'm a far-right conservative. I know, I know the law. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. That's my party. All right? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. You want to say I'm not committed to God? You want to say I'm not committed to what I think God wants me to do? This is how committed I was when this whole sect of Christians started popping up, these people following this Jesus guy. Well, I, I was honor-bound. I was... Duty-bound, I thought it was my God-given prerogative to kill these people. In modern-day language, we would call Paul a terrorist. Paul considered it right by God's law to arrest and have executed Christians because they were flouting God's law. They were saying that a man was God, and you can't do that. And so Paul says, listen, I know what it means to be committed. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What does Paul mean? Blameless in Bible speak doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean faultless. When, it descri- when it's meant positively in the Old Testament and in the New, it describes people who do their best to live by God's standards. And so Paul's, Paul says, listen, as far as righteousness can be found in the law, I've got it. I've... Listen, I don't, have, I don't have a checkered past. I'm not, I'm not the guy who stayed out late. I'm not the guy that you talk about behind his back. Well, you might talk about me behind my back, but it's for completely other reasons, right? If it's, a, if you, if it's between a rebel and a goody two-shoes, I'm the goody two-shoes. I do everything right as I'm expected to do. 
So those are, that's Paul's family. That's Paul's choices. Imagine that Paul is playing poker with these guys and it's time for everybody to lay down their cards. So this guy over here, he's got four of a kind. This gal over here, she's got a full house. And then it's Paul's turn, so all of the same suit, mind you. Ten, jack, queen, king, in really dramatic fashion because this is a movie, ace. Paul's got a royal flush, the unbeatable hand. Right? You can't, Paul, Paul in essence is saying, listen, if you want a reason to trust in the flesh, try me. I've got them. And if we're honest with ourselves, we want all those things. Like this, we, we live in, this world is, and I'm not just talking about our culture, I'm talking about every culture, we live in a meritocracy. People who are well-born tend to do better than people who are not. People who have privilege tend to do better than people who don't. People who work hard tend to do better than people who don't. And so everything around us says, if you want it, you've got to earn it. In order to get good, you must be good. So if you want to do well in the world, you want Paul's resume. And so it stands to reason we kind of make this connection in our minds. Well, if that's true in the world, then it must be true with God. A relationship with God must be a meritocracy. Paul says, no, it's not. And we can even say this, what if I'm not Paul? What if I don't have Paul's resume? In, in fact, Paul's resume probably doesn't resonate with many of us in this room. I mean, I, I know most of you, all right, and there's not many of us that are this guy. And there's a few of us that our story is not Paul's, right? If you've, if you've spent any time around the church, or if you grew up in a church, or kind of maybe you, you've been to some evangelistic events, you're familiar with the, with the whole testimony sharing thing, right? And usually the way it goes is the person who, who's come to know Christ will, will talk about how bad they've been, all the awful things they've done, who they were, and then Jesus comes along, and it's all different. Well, Paul does that, but it's like the exact reverse. Paul opens up by talking about how good he is. All the things that he's got going for him. Like, that's not usually how we begin a testimony, right? Because what we instinctively think is, oh, well, if you've got everything going for you, then what in the world do you need Jesus for? And Paul's point is, all of those things, that big list of assets, those, that big list of gains that he has just laid out there, all of those things actually can keep us from knowing Christ. And so whether, you can, whether you're Paul or not, whether you have a tremendous religious heritage or you don't, the heart of the rebel and the heart of the obedient person, they're really the same thing. I mean, they look different in action, but at the heart level, we define ourselves by what we do. We define ourselves according to the flesh. We put confidence in the flesh. 
whether you're a really righteous person and you put confidence in how often you attend church or how much you give or how often you pray, or you're a very unrighteous person and you actually put confidence in the exact opposite, like how much you can drink before you pass out or how cool your tattoos look in comparison to the other person's, right? We, they're both the same. They're both putting confidence in the flesh and not in Christ. And to that, and to the degree that we do that, to the degree that we trust in what we do, we actually keep ourselves from coming to the Lord. Why? Because all those things run counter to the gospel. They run counter to the good news because we're defining ourselves by ourselves and not by Christ. So here's how Jesus flips the balance sheet. Paul goes through this long list, this impressive pedigree. And then in verse 7 he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul looks at his record, his pure-blooded ancestry, his impeccable righteousness. He looks at all of that. He adds it all up. And then where we would expect it to show a huge profit, he strikes it through with a red marker and says, loss. He gets even more intense in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything, everything that I trusted in, everything that I could put my confidence in, loss. He actually, he actually grabs the balance sheet with all of its black numbers showing profit and he wads it up and he says it's no better than dung. And that's the, that's the tame English word for what Paul says here. Refuse, excrement. Only fit for the consumption of street dogs. Paul looks at all of these good things about himself, about his background, about his doing, and he says, it's crap. Get it out of here. Why? Because it stands between me and knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Paul has found a better treasure. He's found something higher. And now listen, he's not saying that Bible knowledge or time in church or any of those things are bad. In fact, Paul would not have been one of the greatest voices of the New Testament church if it had not been for his knowledge of his Bible, of the Old Testament. Paul would not have been the the apostle to the Gentiles that he was, if he wasn't so familiar with the Scriptures. It's not his heritage, it's not his ancestry that Paul is slamming. What he's saying is, when we make those things our right standing before God, when those become the ground that we stand on, we actually miss Jesus. Because we're trusting in ourselves and not in Christ alone. And so Paul says, I want to get rid of all of them if it means that I can know Jesus better, that I may gain 
Christ. And then he says this crucial phrase. He says, and be found in him. That's really what it means to be a Christian. To be found in Jesus. To be united to Jesus by faith. For him to be the source of your life. Not all of the other things that you want to plant your flag on. Jesus is... uh, to get an idea of what it means for Paul to reject his gains and count them as loss. I'm not originally from Chilton County, and so right when you move to a new place or you're in a new place, what you typically do when you meet new people is you play the name game. But, and usually right what you're trying to do is like, oh, hey, you know so-and-so. We have the same friends. We should hang out, that sort of thing. But I have found that that can also backfire. Right, that the people you consider to be assets in certain places may actually be liabilities. Right, and you're in a conversation with somebody and you say, "Oh, okay, so do you know so and so?" And they go, "Hmm." <laughs> that hasn't happened with anybody in this room, I don't think. So what you know, what you consider to be a gain, might actually, in fact, be a loss. Let's take it to a global scale. Most of us in this room would say, and I think we'd be right in saying that being an American citizen with all of its privileges and all of the rights that come with that citizenship are a good thing. They are an asset. All of those things, those are assets to us. But they are not assets everywhere. There are places that you will go, you may go, Where those things, in fact, will work against you when those assets become liabilities, when the balance sheet is flipped. Even in some missionary situations, there are places where American missionaries cannot go, but Korean missionaries can because we carry a certain badge with us. What we consider to be a profit in some places, is actually a loss. So you see how that balance sheet can be flipped. And so what Jesus does is he takes what we consider to be the normal gains, the normal balance sheet, and he stands it on its head. Paul says, all of these things I count as loss, that I may be found in Jesus. You see, we, we find our life in our achievements. We find life in our religious record. We find life in our doing. But Paul's figured it out. The message of the gospel is find life in Jesus' doing. Find life in Jesus' religious record. Find life in Jesus' achievements. That's how Jesus stands the sheet on its head. So what do we gain When we gain Christ. Verse 9. Paul says, I want to count him as rubbish and be found in him. Have a new standing in him. Paul is talking about the church word justification. And what Paul is asking or what the question we could ask is, what are you standing on? Paul says that when you are in Christ, your standing is on him. This is how he explains it. Be found in him, not having 
a righteousness of my own, literally a from me righteousness that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the from God righteousness. Paul says, Paul says which, which righteousness are you standing on? Whose are you claiming? Do you want to claim your own? Do you want to claim your own in the law? You can do that. That's what the Judaizers are doing. That's not a very firm foundation. Paul says, what I'm doing is I'm standing on the righteousness that comes from God, not from the law, not from doing, but through faith. Faith meaning to trust, to rest, to receive and rest upon Christ alone. That's what we stand on. That's what we gain. That's what it means to be found in Jesus Scottish hymn writer James Proctor put it this way in the mid-1800s. He said, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. Friend, if you are in Christ, there is no other stand. There is nothing else you need to plant your foot on but Jesus. Paul keeps going, not only to be found in him, having his righteousness, but also, verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings. Paul's now moved from the beginning of the Christian life to where he's at right now. It's what we call sanctification. Paul, that we could ask it with this question, what are you striving for? Paul says, I'm striving to know Jesus. I'm striving to know the power of his resurrection, his new life working in me. But there's a strange contradiction in the Christian life. Not only only is Paul learning what it means to live the new life in Jesus, but he's also realizing that Jesus' death has ramifications too. He says, I also know that I share in his sufferings. That what Jesus experienced at Calvary... I experience in some measure as well because Jesus' death makes a separation from the world. And so for me, I too am making a separation from the world and that comes with pain. That comes with suffering. Now, in our context, we're probably not going to experience what Paul experienced. He was in prison. He was beaten for his faith. Most of us will probably not experience that, but we do experience pain. We do experience separation from the world. We do share in the sufferings of Jesus. So the Christian life is this interesting dichotomy or paradox. At the same time we're experiencing the power of new life, we're also sharing in the suffering of death. We're living to him and dying to the world. Paul says all of that is that I may know him. And then, finally, what are you standing on, Jesus? What are you striving for to know Jesus? And then what are you waiting for, verse 11, that by any means possible I may reach the resurrection of the dead? I have one goal in mind. I want to experience resurrection too. I'm learning to live in Jesus' new life now. And that new life is working forward to the day when I myself will experience new life. When I myself fully 
my body and soul together will step out of the grave and see Jesus face to face. So, what am I waiting for? I am waiting to attain the resurrection of the dead by any means possible. Paul's vision is covered up in Jesus. Both in his justification, what he's standing on, in his sanctification, what he's striving for, and in his glorification, what he's waiting for. All of it is gospel goodness. There was a man who was working on an old plantation uh, down in the Black Belt, and um, the owner of the land had, had long deceased. The, the, who, the, the descendants, people who held the land now, they live somewhere up north and could really care less about this piece of property. The, the plantation home had long fallen down and been looted. And so, you know, this is just a piece of property. Um, the, the, the homeowner, the, the landowner gets this guy to come over and do some dirt work in one of the fields, you know, just to kind of get it prettied up. And so this guy's up there on his backhoe, and he's digging in the ground when he hears a, a metallic scraping sound. And not wanting to tear up his backhoe, he turns it off and jumps down and grabs a shovel to see what it was that he hit. And what he uncovers is a huge metal box full of gold and silver. And right next to it is another one full of the same. And what has happened is the way back during the Civil War days, the family that lived in that home buried all of their possessions, all their valuables in the ground so that when the Union soldiers came through and burned the property, they wouldn't be able to seal it. And those people just never never came back. And so what does that man do? He gathers all he has. He gathers all the wealth, his backhoe, his home, his car, and he sells it all. And he buys that field so that he can possess that treasure. Jesus told that story. The kingdom of heaven is that secret treasure hidden in the field. What will you do to acquire it? That's what Paul did. Everything that he thought he owned, everything of worth, he sold it. Loss, that I may gain Christ, that I may know Christ that I may experience the power of His resurrection, and that I too may one day reach the finish line by any means possible. Is that your story? Are you in Christ? Let's pray. Our God and our King, we thank You for the good news That salvation is not what we make for ourselves. Salvation is what you have given us in Christ by grace, through faith. Lord, I pray that from this pulpit, that gospel would never cease to be preached. And that the warnings against those who would strive to attain a salvation by any other means would never cease to be preached. That the free grace in Christ would resound from this building, from this corner, 
through every corner of the globe until Jesus rends the skies and returns. More than that, this morning, Lord, I pray that you would rend our hearts, that we would be broken by the level of our sin, even if we have a record like Paul's that we think is pretty good. Lord, I pray that we would see that even our best achievements, in fact, most often it is our best achievements that keep us from seeing the depth of our sin. Oh, Lord, that we would see our sin, that we would be horrified. Both the sin of law-keeping and the sin of law-breaking. And that we would throw them down, throw them out like refuse and run to Jesus and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. A righteousness that comes from God and rests on faith. Would you do that? Would you work that reality in our hearts? We pray it in Jesus' name.